0: Artists like, I draw really, really well. Okay, good. (laughs) So, why should we buy your work? Stop moaning about it. Okay, just because you draw doesn't mean people will buy your work. Welcome to Creative Insanity. Creative Insanity.
1: I'm Servant, a rap artist, producer, and a bunch of other things from Alberta, Canada. And today my guest is the lovely and lively Marta Madison. Marta is a fashion illustrator from Sydney, Australia, and today she launches her new book, Girl Can Draw which is a beautiful collection of fashion illustrations, pro tips to increase your skills as an illustrator, and vignettes about the joys and challenges of freelancing. We discuss her experience as a successful commissioned artist, the world of bridal fashion, and what she's learned along the way to keep sane. We relate about the importance of good communication and people skills, which are things that, sadly, some creatives don't spend enough time developing. I particularly enjoyed her personality, her beaming vitality from across the world, and I ain't about to spoil the whole conversation for you So, so Marta Madison, welcome to Creative Insanity.
0: Oh, how exciting!
1: Yeah. Sometimes I
0: feel creatively insane. This is a great podcast. I love the idea. I love the theme. So glad that we can connect. Yeah, and uh, I really like uh, where you go with your podcast, it's it's interesting to talk about the process.
1: Mm. Absolutely. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And it's it's interesting that you're all the way on the other side of the world. In what part of Australia?
0: I live in Sydney, Australia. So it's the East Coast. Okay. And I've always lived there since uh, the early mid eighties. And uh, I, I would eventually like to go further north into Queensland, cause I love the heat. But it's not uh, hot Sydney in Sydney. Is, uh, it gets hot, but sometimes in winter it's, it's like 12 degrees. And that's really freezing for me. <laughs>
1: wow. Do the tarantulas have coats?
0: Oh my God! They're they're the the spiders are pretty epic here as are all, all the bugs. Mm. But um, yeah, so you'll notice I have a bit of a hybrid Aussie Canadian accent, and that's from being here for quite a few years. So, but you grew up you know, in
1: Canada in, in I grew Ontario. up in
0: Canada in Ontario, Woodstock, Ontario, outside of London, hmm. and uh, I left Woodstock when I was about. Um, Twenty twenty one, and I moved to Toronto for a few years, and then I bounced all the way to Australia wow. in about nineteen eighty six. Big epic journey, brave, yeah. go for
1: it. Yeah, know? are you glad you went?
0: <laughs> it actually, it's it it's my spiritual home. So as much as I do love Canada and French onion soup and cornbread and <laughs> autumn leaves and all that, I. I knew early on that I didn't want to um uh, deal with the northern winters. I I I suffer a lot from SAD, seasonal adjustment disorder. Yeah. So here there's about 280 days of sunshine a year. That's too many. It, it's so good. I will just literally go out in the sun and just not I'm not a big sunbaker, but I get energized from the heat of the sun. So When I came here, I couldn't believe how much better I felt, and so that's why I just love it. Plus, I really love the people, and um, I love all the Aussie slang, and I became a citizen of Australia in
1: 1994.
0: Wow. Put down roots. I thought if I'm going to stay, and uh, if I'm an Aussie, I'll say stay. Yeah. If I was going to stay, I um, decided to put down roots and become a citizen. I really love the idea that voting and the, you know being the democrat democracy that it is. So yeah. I just
1: love it. No, yeah. I love, I love that. So let's jump into your story a little bit. Basically, we started that you're in Canada and you get along the way, but who are you as an artist because you are my understanding is a bit of an illustrator and like fashion and weddings and and yeah, there's some pictures right there behind you. I'm actually, I think what I'll, normally I say this to later, but I think I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, I've got a little video from you that kind of shows some of your artwork and we'll yes. t- we'll talk over it, but I'm going to share my screen here okay. and uh, you should see this as well as my viewers and I'm going to just press play yeah. and maybe press you could play. talk a little bit about what you do as an artist and then we'll dive into how and why. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay so this I put this as a, this is a book trailer because um, girl has to have a good book trailer for her book girl mm-hmm. can draw and I, I put together a few of my illustrations I'm uh, quite diverse in what I draw it's primarily fashion and primarily figurative I have dabbled in landscape and sculpture in the past but I decided um, it, to focus on bridal illustration because I absolutely love bridal gowns. Um, I have done all types of fashion though, but uh, currently I really do focus a lot on bridal gowns, doing um, bridal portraits for people, but a lot of high-end haute couture type illustration work, including shoes and accessories and all that. So, yeah, so this is just a, a quick snapshot of some of my work and I also do editorial type illustration like this one, which is fashion, but it's also telling a story as yeah, most of my, that. yeah. And pastel, watercolor, pencil, and I am hand drawn. So I don't do a lot of digital work and these are all done by hand. And I remember people, some people say, "Why well, you draw by hand with a pencil.
1: Right. And yeah. yeah. It's getting... it is
0: old school. So there's something about the pencil work that brings a vibrancy and immediacy that I haven't yet sort of achieved with digital. Yeah. Uh, if I do digital, I will do a drawing first and then I might add brushes or something a background in Photoshop. Yeah. But just it's how it's what I grew up with. So I've
1: yeah. Well, I I love yeah. it. It's a, it's a very how interesting I'm always fascinated when I talk to artists who, uh, in the visual arts, because Mm. it's not a strength of mine whatsoever. I think at best I have a sense of composition, but I, Mm. do you draw things from, okay, no, we're getting in process. Let's step back Ah. a little bit. Why do you do this kind of art?
0: Um, well, when I, uh, when I started out, I just started drawing ladies and, my mother was a fashion illustrator, but she uh, put her pencils and pens away when she got married in the 50s. So I never saw her draw. So when I started doing, I was drawing girls based on my Barbie dolls. So they all have big boobs. You know? <laughs> That's what I was drawing. And they were like, oh, she's drawing. Right. And then I went to a, a good high school where they, I developed some techniques but i always love figurative work i have always liked it so it's like i found drawing bodies easy but i didn't find drawing trees easy so yeah. there's part of the brain that went you can do bodies but maybe you need more work on practicing trees yeah so i didn't go into landscape so that is how the brain works is what comes easy you tend to focus on and then you you improve that like i would love to do pure mathematics ain't gonna happen
1: no me Can't.
0: <laughs> it calculators were a blessing for me like so god gives us each some sort of unique thing so for me to try and teach somebody what i do i find it difficult because it simply just comes out of my hand and when when you look in the book you'll see a range of different styles because on the day i'm not quite sure which body will come out so mm. Also a reason I do what I do is because I have these flashes or visions that pop into my head. And that's a really great basis for a drawing. So I'll sort of quickly sketch them down and then I'll work that up. So that's another sort of kind of weird spiritual connection with the higher power sort of thing that just gives me these things in my head.
1: It's like inspiration. I'm really
0: grateful for. That's, you know, not many people have that. (laughs) But a lot of artists do. They get the inspiration. And I think you need to work on your craft in order to get your inspiration. Some people are lucky, inventors, you know what I mean. They, Eureka! Yeah. But unless you're doing the thing constantly, it's very rare to get a perfectly formed idea or something in your head.
1: That's interesting. I like how you specify so- it's like craft first followed by inspiration or our vision. And because uh, I can relate to that as a musical artist, because I could imagine songs, you know, growing up or ideas in my head for, oh, it would all sound like this. But when I became more technically inclined as a producer to be able to do that kind of stuff, I think the specificity of my vision as a songwriter improved Hmm. as well, because Hmm. you know, things... I guess I could attack it, you know what I mean? And it sounds like that's what you're saying is you've got to build the craft up. And another thing that it reminds me of is, do you know a writer named Flannery O'Connor? Okay, so Flannery O'Connor had, she wrote for three hours a day, every day, basically, until she died. Um, and she had a philosophy that she had to show up the same time of day, sit at the typewriter, same three hours, because she was training the muse... She was training inspiration to show up at that time. She was teaching it that I'm going to be there and you're going to be there. And if it doesn't show up, that's fine. But it was, a, it was an interesting philosophy. It's like, oh, okay, like craft and discipline influences yes. Uh, yes. inspiration. So I like that.
0: The main word that I pick from that is discipline. Hmm. Because those who show up produce. If, and I put the Coretta, uh, uh, sister Carita's rules in there. And she was sister Carita Kent. She was a, a, a very, uh, forward thinking artist who mm. worked in um, a convent school in Los Angeles. And she wrote the rules as part of a project. And she says, show up for class. It's the people that actually do the work that get the ideas, and things happen around them simply because they show up. They're present. They're mm-hmm. able to, you know, you never know. At class, you might miss that one thing, that key, that's going to give you the bridge to the where you want to be. Yeah. So if you're a slacker. You can't expect stuff to happen. And this is the thing with the modern sort of Instagram and posting and all that. It's a lot for me. Uh, What I see is a lot of image management and a lot of perfection. And that's not true in the artistic world. There's a lot of mistakes and spilled coffee and crumpled up paper. And you get one good sketch out of 10. So I write about a couple of things like that, where some days the gods are with me and I put down a nearly perfect line. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's gold. (laughs) And I just go, that's good. I've nailed it.
1: Yeah.
0: And other days I'll do it and I'm like, scribble, scribble, scribble. Yeah. It's like, I'm back being two years old. I can't get it. Hmm. So there's a combination of, like you say, discipline equals inspiration and you are what you think. So if you're thinking music, because I'm always amazed because I'm trying to learn the cello. Oh,
1: wow. And
0: Yeah. And that's working yet another part of my brain. And I'm sort of self-teaching myself what I'm going to get some tuition, but I can pick it up because to me, it's like, I understand where the notes go now and how that relates to my fingers. But I don't understand how people compose and ah. compose layers. I'm big into the Beach Boys compositions and the, and the Beatles compositions because they are masterful layering and I just love all that and I don't get how um, Beethoven was able to hear all that symphonies even even though technically he was you know losing his hearing I don't believe he went totally deaf but he was losing but he could hear symphonies and so they could they could separate out each instrument and have a complete symphony with that that instrument and and then blend it together I think that that's the gift I would love. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I I wanted to use the word preternatural forever because yeah. I love that word. And I I thought I just I just love the idea of waking up with a fully formed drawing in my head which I have done. Hmm. And Paul McCartney apparently woke up with the tune for yesterday from a dream. Interesting. And he sort of yeah, was, legend goes he sort of staggered to the piano and plunked out the notes because huh. if he hadn't it would have been gone.
1: Yeah, I can and relate.
0: Have you ever had that? Like
1: Oh yeah. Um where <laughs> I've dreamt things, uh tunes sometimes uh sell uh once in a while too, like you know, a tune just sort of comes to me and yeah. I have to race to record it on my yes. phone or something like that. But but for me, you know, it's the it's the work very often that most of my stuff comes out of inspiration is great, but I, I sit down a piano and I work my ass off and I, I come up with stuff that um, the, you say like these layers. I see that in the visual uh. arts, like what you do as well, because I was looking at an artist uh, who I really admires uh, his Instagram a guy named Caesar Santos. And he's just got oh, yeah. this great big beard and he's really interesting. And he's doing like, I think oil paintings oil on canvas or something. And it, was like a little fast video, rapid cutting through his process of one thing. And it starts with a blank page and he's adding layer upon layer upon layer. And then at the end, you know, it looks better than a real photo. It looks like a moment. And it's, I wonder how does, how do you do that? And that, that's one of the things that fascinates me is the parallel between the visual arts and the non-visual arts. It's mm. like it's like a different dialect of the same language.
0: Yes, I agree. And it is, and you're constantly talking to yourself through that process. So what Césaire would have is he's ha- he has now he has his template of how he does it. Mm-hmm. And it's very true with oils and watercolor, you do layer definitely, and you have to work on your highlights, shadows, your darks, and lights. And that's the thing with a lot of Instagram photos and things. You see the finished process, but underneath is a lot of years of how do I get to that process? It's a lot easier now because there's so many YouTube tutorials. Right. Yeah, that's helpful. Yes. So <laughs> back in the day you went to art school and you, you know, you learned certain techniques and then Today, it's a whole other ball game of how do I learn how to do something and you can go and see these fast forward, slow motion, whatever type of takes. Mm-hmm. And that's very it's been very helpful. It really helped me when I was starting out because I had huge gaps in my knowledge because I actually stopped drawing when I got to to Australia. and I didn't know how to be an artist. I didn't have a clue. so I just gave it up. I just went. I'll be a graphic designer, and that'll do. Because I didn't know how you mm. got to be a paid artist. and Nobody mentored me, and it, which was very similar to my mom. She came right. out of art yeah, school. Yeah,
1: I was going to say. Uh,
0: no contacts. Not in 1948, 49. Most women didn't work. Never mind be a commercial artist. Mm. Very few in the 50s. So without any sort of social or artistic supports, she just. Had the kids, and you know, I saw a lot of sort of maybe sadness around that not being able to have those dreams. But the funny thing is, when I came to Australia, I didn't either, and I didn't have internet, I didn't get it. So I kind of went to a few classes, and it helped me understand. But it's only been in the last 12 years, or whatever, where I had access to internet, and uh, I was slow on the uptake, I didn't even start looking at youtube videos till 2010 (laughs) what was i doing (laughs)
1: that's okay i go
0: to i did i did actually go to um uh the national art school had evening classes up where up the road where i used to live and i did quite a few classes there still not a lot of figurative but it was fun to do sculpture landscaping and learn a bit about color Mm. but yeah it was only since 2010 12, where I went, oh my God, I could go online and I could learn. And some of these guys are very generous with their time to teach, you know, online. Mm -hmm. And they, they, I watch these videos too. And I'm like, do that color of the hair, (laughs) that skin, it's so good. But that's their style. Yeah. And you got to create your own style. And that comes through practice, 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 practice.
1: Yeah, mm. practice and yeah. discovery. I imagine. So okay. Yes. So you went through this period of, uh, I was gonna say wandering in the desert kind of thing. But wilderness years. Yeah, it. Wil- the wilderness years. I like that better. Um, when did you decide to get serious about it? When, like, even as younger, like, when were you serious about art? When did you realize you could be serious about it?
0: Well, the the, the time when I left school because. I was quite fortunate in my small, very country type hometown, 20, 25,000 people in Woodstock. And there is surrounded by a lot of farms, mm-hmm. but it was a very tight community. And there were sort of three main high schools. And my natural progression was to go to one, which is quite sport orientated, but they did have a, a musical element and I was learning viola. So, at about fourteen, just before I was to go to high school, I just said, announced to my parents, um, "You're going to actually enroll me across town into this really funky high school that has two hours of art a day." Right? Are we good with that? Because <laughs> I was quite bossy, but I was very resourceful because I went two hours of art a day. I'm so in there, and it was really unheard of to enroll out of your district. Yeah, it was a long, it was a bus ride away. But still, I wasn't meant to go to this school. And I'm forever grateful for my parents to go, all right, just to shut her up. We'll get her (laughs) enrolled there. And I had four years of art and, you know, mixing all different groups of people and uh, ended up being a very, uh, very uncoordinated cheerleader. I don't even know (laughs) why doing there and then yet i was having the occasional cigarette out the back you know so i was kind of going amidst all groups but i was so devoted to this art Hmm. classes and it was run by three legendary guys who managed to get the school board to help them build this massive two three level mezzanine for paper mache floats we did um and lettering we did it was unbelievable and i'm sure these guys and i i honor them in the book i do talk about them i'm sure these you know guys were like oh these small town oh i hope one of them or two of them makes something of themselves right (laughs) because we were hairways, you know this was during the 70s but they were really really uh they they could see i had something and they were saying please knuckle down because we think you have something and i was like "Ooh." somebody's really taking notice. And I did. Mm-hmm. And at the end of um, my four years there, I was editor of the yearbook. And I had, you know, really put together a nice little portfolio. And then they said, well, you can go to Fanshawe College, which is in London, and take fashion illustration, because it was obvious that's what I wanted to do. However, I went there, old bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, going, I'm here. I'd like to enroll. And they said, oh, we don't have any course there's not enough interest oh like 18 I was like oh what am I gonna do so the, the course administrator was so great I've had all these lucky intersections of luck and kindness where I just I must have looked so crestfallen it's another <laughs> word I love crestfallen
1: yeah it's good one. and
0: she said, look Han, just take your drawings over to a, you know one of your local lady shops and see if they'll take you on and you can do some drawing for them for maybe the local newspaper. I went, okay, I'll do that. Huh. And then I did. And there was a lady shop in Woodstock and they said, yeah, we'll take you on as an illustrator.
1: Wow. Just walking in that 18 and years old.
0: right in, And I mean, I had, uh, I had to do sales for like, I was full-time salesperson and that wasn't always more stimulating as i would like but i got a chance to sit in the dusty back room and do some sketches and i so wish i'd kept some of them but i haven't and that was just one of the instances where i started to feel well i've made it and my drawings were probably absolute crap back then but i thought this is how you do it you don't have to go to university there you go and then from there i uh, stayed there two years, and then I had another year in town. But that job ended, and then I went to the Globe and Mail newspaper hmm. in Toronto. I moved there by myself with two two. I'm, I had two friends I lived with, and I started work as a telemarketing assistant. And uh, again, luck. I thought, hmm, I'm going to be a little bit cunning here, and I went to the art department. And I said, I can draw, and is there any way some of the clients might like some illustrations for their ads? Sure.
1: Oh, Give
0: great. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a salesperson by day and then I would go home and I draw these little ads, which are in the book, which are from the eighties. And God. there I was drawing these great dresses from the eighties for top fashion places in Toronto. So I thought, done and dusted. But in the, <laughs> in that time, I had actually gone to George Brown College to do night class uh to learn the proper fashion illustration techniques. So, I had done I had finally realized that I could get some sort of diploma or something in illustration technique, which I did.
1: Yeah, so, so you, it seems like you took education very seriously, but Always. Yeah, yeah. and I mean even if it was non-traditional, you you realized the importance of always learning. And you say that you were very lucky and uh, that, you know, the fortune of the kindness of strangers was something that helped you along. Um, And while while I know that's true, there's also an element of you presenting yourself in the right place at the right time. And some of that is discipline and habit and, yeah, so, like, you wouldn't have got the opportunity to start drawing some fashion drawings, even while you were doing sales, if you didn't go and ask, I have a very similar experience. Um, I also write as well. Um, I went to a local paper in a small town, 10,000 people where I grew up. It's like 45 minutes away from here. And I walked in and I was, I think 18 at the time. And I said, Hey, I would like to write. Can I do that for you in any way? And they don't get paid a lot to write and I offered to do it for free. So they were like, okay, we'll give you something. And I wound up writing some columns and then they sent me off to take pictures and, you know, write little, talk to some artists and things like that. And it was really valuable experience. And while I didn't do it for too long, I was, I think, stunned at just how you could ask for something and it would happen. Um, that's been a theme in my life for sure. So yeah, I really like that. You know, you were hustling. How was your mental health like at that time? Were you really excited about this? Was it keeping you afloat or do you wish you had more time? It was, for it? um,
0: I always um, I always think, uh, I started to feel very lucky. And so I thought I'm going to ride this sort of luck wave. And then I, somebody always said to me once, um, the answer is always no if you never ask.
1: Uh, I like that.
0: I, mean, I, I live by that. So I am, as I said, I was very resourceful as a young person, probably seeing my mom not be as um, assertive as we were growing up. I embraced a lot of women's liberation in the 70s. I wasn't, I wasn't taking shit. And <laughs> I was going to just ask for what I wanted. Uh, and, but also you can get a lot more with sugar than vinegar. Right. Another saying. So I'm always polite and I don't test the friendship either. Like I don't take advantage. So I, uh, being a rat in the Chinese horoscope, rats are very, they kind of look around for opportunity and they're, <laughs> you know, they're busy doing stuff and they're like very resourceful. Yeah. So, my my state of being—I was a very buoyant. I love that word. When people ask me today, "How are you?" I say, "I'm buoyant." And they're <laughs> like, "It's an odd word," but it means you're kind of going with the flow, and you're—you know—yes, there's ups and downs, and, but you're riding it.
1: Yeah.
0: And as, much as I uh, found, I seem to always be in sales, but I found sales that type of hustle very draining. Yeah. And I could own those types of jobs. And I think a lot of artists find the hustle completely draining. It's not who they are. It takes them away from their art. It's like selling out, but yet nobody's buying my artwork. Well, if they don't know who you are, it's difficult to have. They're not going to come knocking on your door. So these days, there's a lot more hustle. Mm. A lot more for people there's you know instagram influencers there's ways to get yourself out there and i just approach people but i also can write very good letters of introduction so learning your grammar learning to write is really important
1: oh i'm so glad you said that i'm so glad you said that because i get so not like so many but i get people who uh let's say contact me for instance if it's related to my music or my podcast or something that there is, it's illegible sometimes Or like, Oh, great song, bro, man. I would love to collab. And it's just, you know, filled with like fire emojis and stuff. And I find that really, uh, it's annoying. And and it's, it's like, you know, the written language, if you just want to present yourself as professional right off the hop, just learn proper grammar. Because proper grammar is going to get you in the door of so many opportunities, like you don't even realize. If you can just start an email with, you know, hey there, comma, enter, new paragraph, my name is so-and-so and and I've been introduced to your work. You know, you start with some praise and like, if you learn it and then you end it respectfully, so-and-so, that gets you so much more regardless of the content than you know, overt o- informality. And maybe informality is good in some circles, especially maybe if you're young and in certain kind of underground scenes. Yes. But, you know, the the areas that often to, to make money in your craft or the, the places that have the keys to these places, you got to be uh, polite. You got to be grammatical. You, you got to present your best foot forward. And that's something that, that's literally the first time I've heard someone say that on my podcast is like- Ugh. Proper grammar, and it's like hell yeah, proper grammar.
0: <laughs> it's and know the tone, know the tone of the person you're writing to, and, and yeah, like don't talk down to them, but don't don't be too familiar because they're running a business and you don't know them necessarily. So uh, yeah, you get some rejections, but uh, when I first approached um, someone to. Uh, see if they would like me to do live sketching of their bridal stuff. Yeah. Uh, I I was very nervous, but I gave them a personal phone call and I introduced myself and I just put out feelers. And again, um, my name is Marta Madison and I just really adore your, you know, your bridal fashions and would love to chat with you about possibly, you know, doing some live illustration of your bridal. Um, where and again luck we were just talking about this the other day she goes when you rang me <laughs> she said your voice was just so upbeat and happy and she said to me on the phone I'm literally trying to find an illustrator at this moment I have the white pages open
1: wow so that's what I
0: mean, <laughs> she says but it was your voice that just (laughs) made me feel you had so much passion and professionalism. So it's very true. If you are going to reach out, yeah, like you said, do a little bit of research, um, and expect some rejection, um, which I had expected when I rang, but no, it was synchronicity. So that was a weird thing. But also I followed up with a thank you email. Yeah. And, After my first um, live sketching with them, I gave them a gift basket. Oh, wow. Because you guys treated me so beautifully. They were like angels to me. And it was amazing. And so those a thank you letter, I can't tell you how far that goes with people. And it's not fake and it's not insincere. It is a common courtesy. If someone's been kind to you you follow up with a thank you
1: i like that well and in today's you know day and age of instagram spontaneity of everyone's just kind of following their four second attention span um Mm -hmm. i feel like the etiquette shifts around a little bit but i have a very uh great example of my own life where i'm basically a do it now kind of guy where i have If the thought crosses my mind and I can do it right now, especially with communication, it's like, well, I better do it. And often because I'll forget otherwise. And just the other day, I sent a thank you um, to Nick Churwink, who is a a gentleman I had on the podcast a few podcasts ago. Um, Because A, it was a great episode, but he connected me with somebody. He connected me with Meredith Bull, who I had on the episode right after him. And she's someone who's... I think kind of taking me on a bit in a mentoring relationship and she's, she's given me a lot of pointers and we've had a few conversations and she's kept in touch and yes. I'm, I'm really like grateful for that connection. And so I had this thought that I was like, man, thanks to Nick. And so I was like, what the hell? Just pick up my phone. And I, I sent him a short paragraph of thank you. Like I said, you know, when I'm in LA, I'm going to buy you a beer or a coffee. One of the two, yeah. uh, And just, you know, I really, I really appreciate it, man. And it was genuine. Like it was true. It was, but it was spontaneous. And I don't know, man, like I, I just, it definitely helps solidify a kind of, cause I imagine that Nick appreciated it. He said he did. And I mean, if I, you know, if someone was on my podcast and they sent me a message later, like, oh, thanks for having me on. That was so fun. Like, man, it. It makes me feel like, yeah, I'd have them on again sometime. Like it's. Oh, yeah, like a
0: follow up. It's always good. People love that. Yeah. And I think they don't realize they love it until they realize that nobody's followed up with them before except you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. And so, I mean, I'm hoping that people will learn from this type of what we're talking about. It's like, I can't cut a break. You know, well, think about how you're actually approaching people because people will be very helpful if you are, like you said, if you do a good Mm. letter, if you and and get somebody to proof your letter. And you know, spell check and all that. Like it drives me crazy to have spelling mistakes. And occasionally they get through and I go, ah Yeah. But you just have to read it out loud and do all that because That alone is the only thing someone will remember is the spelling mistake, sadly.
1: (laughs) Sometimes it's very true. Uh, You know, I was going to say, I'm sorry, my ADHD kicked right in there. I lost (laughs) my train of thought. Uh, But, oh yeah, around the idea of communication as well, people skills. And I know that we're kind of, we've drifted a bit from your story, but this is really good stuff that I'm glad to talk about because... People skills, I've discovered, are probably the most important skill set to have next to your craft. And at times, your craft, let's say your success is more measured by your people skills and less by your craft, then vice versa. Is it? Does it happen where your craft is so damn good that, you know, it just speaks to people and opportunities come out of the woodwork? Sure. Less so if nowadays.
0: Ready, yes.
1: If you're what, sorry? Banksy. Banksy, yeah. Like if, <laughs> if you're that good. We've many
0: people skills that we know of.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But mostly it's your, I think that if you were an artist like, you know, like you when you were grade nine or whatever, you're going to a new high school and you're experiencing all that, something that I would like to see as an education for young people, particularly young artists and creatively aspir- aspiring individuals is an education in people skills in how to navigate the social world and the utility yes. of the social world because you know it's about making genuine connections with people you really vibe with but it's also being respectful of their time it's about learning how much is too much communication how much is too little what can you ask the the kind of economy of favors you know what i mean like if someone asks you for help and you do it like oh no no problem, like you don't need to pay me nothing. like this will take me 20 minutes. I'll get her done for you. People remember that, and then down the road, you can be like, "Hey, um, yeah. would you mind making <laughs> an introduction for me or something you know like, yes, all of that stuff is so damn useful. It's kind of a shame that there are so many artists and a younger version of myself who who was ignorant of it and didn't know and then felt lost like there's no way I could navigate making connections or making people look at my work.
0: It is. It's a. It's a big, it's a big thing because nobody has to buy your work. It's not like we have to buy food. And why should somebody buy my work? Why? So, artists are like, oh, I draw really, really well. Okay, good. <laughs> so why should we buy your work? Stop moaning about it. Okay, because just because you draw doesn't mean people will buy your work. I always thought art galleries were this strange confluence of, I have $1,100 in my pocket, cash. I walk by an art gallery. Ooh, I go in, and at that moment, your painting is what I need. Here's the le-. That is just about how rare things are for art- artists,
1: right? right?
0: <laughs> so with galleries, you, you're trying to get people to come in to buy. But unless they've got some sort of, subjective and emotional connection to your work they might think about it you know it's very rare the spontaneous purchase I yeah. must have it so they that is where the struggle for the artist is so it, the whole thing about building your following connecting with your potential clients that's relatively new because in the old days you had an art gallery represent you and they did all that work hmm Back in the people went to a gallery. You had an exhibition, you sold a few paintings, you went back to your studio, rinse and repeat. These days, that is flipped on its head where you are selling through Instagram, you are selling through other <clears throat> avenues, and you don't need necessarily a gallery. So you are the galleryist, which is a whole subset of skills. It's negotiating with people, it's uh socializing getting them into a group setting possibly um negotiating with them by email about purchases so that's a whole thing that i think the young younger ones really embrace they've got that but the sort of middle age artist is not quite there yet
1: yeah it's it's tough for well, it's tough for anybody who's been doing something one way for a long time and you know what Direct corollary in the music industry: labels. Labels yeah. would represent your musical artist. Oh yeah. And now everybody's independent. Well, there are labels out there. Most of them suck, and I mean that real nicely. It's the nicest way I could put it. Most of them suck. They're going to rob you sideways for your work and take total advantage. And half the time, they're not even going to do anything that you couldn't do on your own. There are exceptions, yes. but. Fine, uh, the artist dream that I had when I was a kid was like, oh yeah, you make great music, someone sees it, they they you know you go perform somewhere, they jump up out of the crowd and say, ah, oh, you're the guy I've been looking for. We're gonna sign you to whatever rep- record label and we're gonna get your stuff, vinyls and everything. It's gonna be crazy. It's not. It's just not how it is. You're a full contact artist as an independent, and Now, you'll actually make more money doing that if you do it great, because you own your masters for music, like there's so much that you have. And then I imagine for an independent artist, like an actual visual artist, yes, you don't have a middleman taking some other money, let's say, if you sell a commission or something, right?
0: Mm. Oh, and see, there's a big thing here in Australia, and I'm going to come back to the box tops. Because the box tops were a band. Okay. Saying uh the letter, the song about give me a letter cause my baby gonna live without me no more and I was watching them and they went broke, completely wow. ripped off by the, completely devastated by yeah. the label they were on and so Al- Alex Chilton was the lead singer at 16, he'd already had like a super number one hit in yeah. 1966 <laughs> said, by the time they, the band said, by the time we figured out we had no money, we were so jack of touring that we just disbanded. And they made millions for their record company. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. With so many, Badfinger, two of the band members suicided because they could never get their money, never get their royalties. And there's a whole, you know, most of them are the bands from the 60s and early 70s. They just... Couldn't navigate that, but you're right. That whole that whole thing of I will be seen, they will come to me. I will sell. And in in Australia, there's this there's this um, way of galleries now. Yeah. I've not ever done this because I can't economically justify. They they often have like what's called a pop up empty space. And for a weekly rent of sometimes upwards of $2,000 you pay, you can put your pictures up. But you have to have an opening night, which you pay for. You have to man the front desk, which you pay for. And yes, they don't take any commission, but you can spend $3,000 just hosting a two-week exhibition.
1: Okay. How do you yeah. feel about so that?
0: I I haven't jumped on that bandwagon because I'm like, now, I don't see how that's beneficial to the artist.
1: I would say so. the only way that I could see that being beneficial is if that takes place, let's say, at some kind of art convention where mm-hmm. it is well known that people will go there to purchase art or something like that. Or it's in an art district where, you know, like there's maybe at- exceptions, but your work better but- be...
0: Street traffic. It's to me, um, you know, unless you are extremely well known. I, but then again, you're with you're represented by a gallery.
1: Yeah. So the game has changed.
0: Well, what I I do like, and it, this kind of ties into the whole idea of self publishing. So the the traditional route was you send your manuscript, your baby, to you know ten publishing houses in yeah. hopes that one might find time to read it within the next year and it doesn't sit in the pile of, Oh, here's the incoming. Um, then they publish it. They get royalties, but you actually have to, they nowadays that's all changed. You actually have to have a decent following on Instagram before they'll look at you. Right. Some words, words of, you know, 50,000 followers. You have to do the publicity. Sure. They'll print it and they'll put it in bookstores and they'll give you a nice sort of launch, but you're basically doing all the hard work for them. And a lot, that's why I and a lot of other people choose to self publish Mm -hmm. because there is a tremendous amount of middlemen. And then there's also the vanity
1: publishers. I don't
0: know if you've heard of them.
1: Is that like Harlequins and stuff?
0: No, they're actually uh, there's ones like I can't recall the names, and I wouldn't say them on on air anyway. But there's ones oh, that will charge yes. five thousand dollars, five thousand and they will you know print it and then put it on their little um, website yeah. where and then also I believe put it on Amazon for you.
1: It's a racket. So
0: you init- essentially, you buy your own book. Yeah. You pay $5,000 for your own book, which you could almost just do yourself. So that's, again, a totally different way. And now the book publishing industry is kind of like, hang on, there's a lot of self publishers out there. And that's what I've done. I'm getting it printed in Australia. I'm getting them all sent to me, and then I distribute my book worldwide. Yeah. And oh, for international orders is $74, and that includes postage. So in Australia, it's $50 free postage.
1: Yeah, so you just that, take care of it.
0: That's it. And one website, and if you want it that badly, you know, come and get it. Girl <laughs> can draw a But I haven't decided, and I'm not saying that I won't, whether I will put it on Amazon or iBooks. That's down the road. It, the main thing was to get it printed because I believe it's a, a book that needs to be held I don't think yeah. it's an ebook.
1: It looks point. like a coffee table book, you know what I mean? Like the kind of book that Well, it's
0: like it's, like, it's sort of like this. This is sort of that's you know. Yeah, no it's it big. Huh. Well, thought. Jeez, I must have been reading this quite a lot. <laughs> um it it's got its beautiful beautiful velvet, sallow varnish cover and the pages are nice. And I think it gets lost a little bit as an ebook. So that that's kind of the placement of the book so that's all changed in the publishing world and mm-hmm. i did a lot of research so the rat in me came out and i was looking through how am i going to do this how will i promote it and you know i was just yeah. a busy little bee over christmas working that stuff out but you have to do it you have to think about it you, you don't let it. letting other people do it is come on you can i well, made my own video
1: hey. oh yeah oh no, you did great well here's the thing is like you do it all and you know depending on let's say how well things go, how high your aspirations are, et cetera. I mean, admittedly you can grow your own team. Like you can get people doing certain things for you, but then it's like, that's you as a leader, as a creative person too. And I mean, I'm in the state where I do basically everything myself, but my wife, she films me. If I'm like, I'm a videographer by trade, but if I am on camera, My wife films me. My wife is part of my team and we've been working together quite a bit. She's getting better and better. I couldn't make the videos I make without her. And Mm. so like, you know, getting her on board's a lot easier, let's say, than strangers. But there have been times now that I'm getting where like people are offering to help or calling, you know, working with the same people again and again for a certain aspect of a video or something. And eventually you know if you make enough money doing what you do you might be like okay i'm gonna hire somebody to they're going to help me i don't know they're gonna screen my emails or my calls like there's 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 a million things that you could have someone do but
0: they'll get my people to contact your people
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's like you don't have to worry about that until you have to worry about that and the traditional model just isn't the same so I want to dive I want to dive in with the, the bit the last bit of time we have here, just a little bit more into the mental health side of things, uh, because I'm really I'm eternally fascinated by how people like you don't go crazy out of their minds because it seems like the pursuit of art is such a, you know, such a small chance of success. It's so work intensive. Um, often a lot of people don't understand or they take for granted, like what you do. There's, in my experience, at least, it's a challenging mental place to be at times. And I wonder, like you strike me in this conversation and and our conversation before that, like, you just seem really well balanced. Like, you're fascinated by lots of different things. You have a life, you've got a life outside of your art. Um, Yes. What's like, what's that balance like? Like, tell me just a bit about how you don't go crazy. Or if when you do, how do you get out of it?
0: Uh, what what I used to get crazy about was not being able to do art. So I could understand where my mom's frustration came from mm. growing up. That used to make me very, very sad. And then when I talked to her about her art, I could see that she suppressed a lot. Mm. And so I was very big on... I did a lot of self-work in the 90s where I was very big on um, letting my feelings out and not suppressing and learning how to be angry. Cause I was always really nice and that's not a healthy state to be in like that niceness. So I'm a bit more authentic about, um, how I vent and, and standing up when I should instead of being quiet, because that's the Libra part of me. you want to be liked. And mm. sometimes you have to be unpopular and make unpopular choices. So in terms of the mental health, yes, I did a big reset in the late '90s, and I had to go into very deep reflection and work on um, my 12 steps. and because I wasn't drawing at all. Hmm. And I had a feeling that I wasn't being my authentic self at all, and I couldn't access any sort of connection to any spirituality. If that makes sense. Yeah. And then I think the 2000s were about just trying out my new um, life and how how to navigate relationships, because I had isolated myself a long time and I wasn't isolating in an artistic way either, which is really bad for my soul. So. And I mean, one of the visions I had, funny enough, was one night I had uh, woken up at 3am, I don't know, it was just having one of my epic nightmares, which is hmm. a sign of not well, things are right. not going Stress. well, yeah. really bad nightmares, they were just so horrifying, and scary. And I kind of came out of this nightmare and, and it was sort of, just as the light was coming in the room, and I saw a figure at the end of my bed, I swear. But it wasn't a scary figure. It was a specter. like just just an outline, but it was sort of hazy. And it was, I, I was thinking, oh, I heard these words, wake up. And I was like, yeah, I'm awake. You know, it's like, wake up. And that was, for me, a real sign, I think, to wake up to yourself. Hmm. Wake up because you have one shot at this life and what you're doing, the way you're living is you're going to cut that short. So then, you know, my moments of clarity came and I started to, to change everything about my life, my health, I gave away cigarettes, I gave away booze, I gave away any sort of um, thing that was taking me away and keeping me busy. Yeah, And then, I did a lot of meditation, and it was not until 2010, and uh, that I went on a meditation retreat, which really helped me get in touch with my creative side. So for the for that ten years since 1997 to 2010, I was living pretty. I was living clean, as it were. I was in a in a relationship which was coming to an end in 2010. Yeah, and then, and I was dealing with stuff, and I was just working and just starting to feel like i need to break free of that relationship and it helped me but it was time to end it and that's when i went to this retreat and i carved my first Buddha head and i still have it and a picture of it's in the book and that was like oh my god like my soul just awoke so i didn't feel that insane again the insanity i had in the early in the late 90s and that was just not being in touch with my creativity and being just an emotional uh, isolationist mess
1: interesting <laughs> just
0: not asking for help and and trying to do everything on my own but really very very lonely i didn't have any substantial relationships for you know the 90s there wasn't anything of any depth and so until I sort of cleansed myself, I couldn't be a friend to anybody, and I wasn't being a friend to myself. And once I embraced more meditation and prayer, people found that they that the light in my eyes came back, and that, honestly, I can say, Spencer, that people literally smile at me on the street now. Strangers. My girlfriend says, what? Is going on with you? We were walking the other day. She said, everyone smiles at you. I know. I said, random people just grin at me. She said, it's because you're so open. You are such an open, inviting person that you get these smiles. And it is a beautiful thing. And I, I pray that people feel that what I feel. Because a lot of people don't get smiles when they on the street.
1: Well, it's really interesting that you would go through. Like, that sounds like a real trial of, you said mm-hmm. a lot of angst started from, like, not getting enough time to be creative. And then it seems like part of that went into sleep mode because you maybe buried it with some, yeah. you know, negativity and and bad habits and all the rest. And I like that, you know, powerful image, vision, metaphor for waking up and how so many of us can be in a trance and asleep for years, often for like silly reasons or or things that, you know, when you look back, you go, man, like I just needed to tweak my perspective. I just needed to open up more. I just needed to talk this out. And I also like how you mentioned relationships, you know, like figuring that stuff out. I think that what I'm kind of getting out of this is like, there is a whole health That is more than just, you know, your creative self, like your physical health, your emotional, Mm -hmm. spiritual, relational, all of these things have interplay, very valuable interplay with your creativity and your creativity has interplay with those other things as well. Right. So yeah, it's like, um, you need to be able to heal all parts of you and the, the focus on, creativity and the lack thereof that you had was too narrow of thinking right it was like no it
0: was, it, a lot of it was killing me yeah uh, yeah and not and i just think my higher power said you we've got bigger plans for you hmm. we've you are going to draw and bring joy to the world despite yourself <laughs> like despite all your i didn't even know that but as they say in the 12 strip program, don't leave till the miracle happens. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, I couldn't, what miracle? Like, and then I look at my artwork and I think that's the miracle. I was being, that's the joy I was meant to bring. And the, and when I actually, the only other time I get sort of creatively insane yeah. is if I'm doing a commission, because when I draw for myself, whatever, I just draw, you know, I draw pretty pictures yeah. and <laughs> It can be full of mistakes and whatever, but when I'm doing a commission, that can be a lot of pressure, because the, first of all, the person has to like it. You want to do them justice. You've got a time constraint usually, yeah. And they will they can ask for multiple changes, so you've got to be a bit agile. You've got to practice diplomacy, but also respect that they're the client. Yeah. And I, I wonder how many people get the shits as it were and say, Oh no, I, this is my art. I am not changing a thing.
1: Don't you (laughs) talk. I love it. It's a French person. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I, you know, and so I do counsel in the book that if you are going to do digital art or whatever, a lot of digital art is all about, we're going to change that background and you can do it quickly. Yeah. But if I'm drawing something, I have to start again that's yeah. you know the background be already painted
1: well that's and I'm not gonna
0: change it again
1: yeah and, or am I well and personality like when people when people go to you for a commission this is like where some of the modern branding is kind of on point is the idea of you're kind of selling yourself in a way and why that's great is you know if I were to go to you and say you know Marta I'd love for you to to draw me uh, something to do with me and my wife or whatever, like whatever the commission was. Yeah. The goal, like the hope is that I have fallen in love with your style and your work and stuff. And then I'm just going to be hands off and say, okay, this is kind of what I'm thinking. You know, me, yes. this is the subject and then you do your thing and I'm just going to going to love it. And that is, I think yeah, the hope for any like freelancing artist or something like that, you know, like people approach me for like production some once in a while. And it's like, you know, just do your thing. Because we like your thing, whatever it is. And that's amazing. Um, And you're right. Digital art has a lot more flexibility. Um, You can just pop things in and out.
0: Yeah. It's often used for that because it's quick to switch and stuff. Mm -hmm. But what I tend to do is like, I think people see my work. So it's attraction rather than promotion. They already feel a synergy, Mm -hmm. uh, a connection, and there's trust to trust. That this person will, you know, because a lot of commission portraits are rejected, believe it or not. There's quite a few people going, "No, I hate it." What are you, what are you thinking oh, of? I
1: guess it so, eh?
0: happens, and I've heard it quite a few times in, you know, my Facebook group, and they didn't <laughs> like it. So what I've learned is I send progress sketches and partial painted p- bits, so there's no yeah. surprise at the end because this the unveiling should be the culmination, and that's just the way I work because I've learned that I think people like to be involved in the process, and then when they get the whole thing, they see it in toto, as it were, Yeah, and that's how I found to manage how far I'm going. Now, I worked with a, uh, a Belgian lacemaker. It was a fabulous job drawing uh, his lace on designs that brides would bring in. So they'd bring in a photo of this gown, say, I love this gown. I'm going to have a seamstress make it. And he would sell them the lace to go on the top or whatever. It was an exquisite commission. Mm. And I had many times where he was such a master of understanding lace because his family had been involved in it for 300 years. So he kind of knew the wow. stuff. Okay. <laughs> and he was the son of the, of the, the great, great uh, son of the owner, And the great-grandparents and all that. Anyway, he'd gone into it and he knew what he didn't know about silk does not exist. (laughs) So he'd say to me, the silk you have drawn looks too heavy for what the silk is. So Uh he knew, by the way, I had drawn the hem, you know, the hem over over here, the hem, that it wasn't floaty enough. So I learned to send him many little progress sketches to say, okay, is this... Perfect, he'd say. That's exactly right. So I learned a lot, and he was pedantic, but it was his. He was a customer, yeah. And I would have to do two or three versions, and it was part of the deal. And that I was like, "Thank you so much for your feedback. I really learned a lot." Instead of, "No, I was right." Well, I wasn't right.
1: Yeah, you got to take your your pride and your ego out of it. And oh yes, I, you know, I I have a. a lot of—I've I've heard some things, like, as I kind of talk to more and more people who have, let's say, bigger followings, or they're kind of more entrenched in certain industries, um, I've been learning that there's a lot of divas out there. There are a lot of people, um, even, like, artists, like, who just—I did it this way, and then uh, they cost a lot of money, too, and they don't want to make any changes and stuff like that. And so that, to me, seems like a miscommunication more than anything— yes. Uh, I understand you could have a picky client or something, and that could be painful. But yeah, there's you, expectation, communication, and being oh, able to work so the progress. Yeah,
0: figure out what is expected to begin with, because that that sort of bad will kind of hangs around. Mm-hmm. And uh, there have been a couple of times where I have made progress on a sketch, and I could see that the person was deviating far too much from my style. Oh yeah. I had to say, I'm sorry, I, I can't continue because I think we're just never going to meet up. And that was easier. And they appreciated that. I said, I'd love to, or I had some rather large, important world famous client contact me through an agent that I use in Melbourne. And I had to be honest and say, you know what? I could do digital live sketching, but I'm not there yet. Mm. And my friends went, you went, you said, no, you said no to this cat. I said, much better. I'd be honest. There's a, there's lots of people who could do that work, but I wasn't going to give them the product that they wanted. And I'm not ready for it yet. And I was egoless enough yeah. to admit that.
1: It's a fine, Help me. It's a fine balance. You I've can't had-
0: learn- like that in two weeks prior to the deadline. It's, you know, it's, it's no stress about
1: If it's something you could have, I'm sure you would have jumped on it. You'd have been like, you know oh, what? Wow. I would have been happy yeah. to do
0: it. It was great. But I was, I just said, um, sorry, I can't
1: do that. Well, I love that. I, I love that much. Like this is such a balance of like practical advice uh, for yes. freelancers and commissioners and stuff. Give me, give me w- what's, what would be like your final word here? For create noting that my audience is full of creative people, people who are really interested in creativity and they're from various kinds of disciplines. What's a big takeaway for you in your life as a creative that you'd just like to put out there?
0: Oh, okay. Well, I think when when I was when I've been writing the book and I talk, I have a chapter on success. So I've defined success as my ability to connect with people. That's what I think my art is about. And I've found portrait work to be a very satisfying way to do that. And to hand over a painting of a cat or somebody's house or whatever, and they have tears in their eyes. There's nothing that can beat that. But I also feel that doing the work, putting the hard yards in, you know, practice, Practice your hands. You're drawing hands. Practice. Yeah. <laughs> because the hands make a break a passion drawing, let me tell you. And stick to your strengths. So I got, um, I'm very grateful for my gift, but I have my limits. So I work to my strengths. I try not to do what everybody else is doing. I don't like fads. I think they come and go. There was a time when everybody was drawing these paintings that had drips coming down the Hmm. face, and I knew it was a fad. So (laughs) just keep going on your path and build up that sort of portfolio of your stuff and be just be very curious and not stuck into one thing. Um, As I always say, be grateful for your gift. And try and sh- share, mentor other people. If you're older, try and mentor other people, which I really love to do, mentor young artists. Um, and I'm not getting too hung up on what Instagram's doing, whether you're going to sell the next painting, because I think that really eats away at you.
1: Mm.
0: Just live your life. If you need to work part-time, if that's going to free up. I was talking to one artist saying, you I don't want to get anything done. I said, work part-time. Can you work part-time? Because then you're allowed, you can get more yeses into your weekend by working Monday to Thursday. You have opportunity to say yes on Thursday. Things open up. The universe is not like a vacuum.
1: Right. Hmm.
0: It will fill your free days with stuff. So there is a way to to gain more, to claw back some more of that art time that you need. Because we all have to work. No one wants to go hungry, and this notion that you have to be a starving artist—forget that.
1: Yeah, be a sane artist. That's
0: be insane. That will drive you insane quicker than anything is forcing your artwork, forcing your art to to um, to pay your bills. It's the other way around. Getting enough money to pay your bills frees up you to be an artist. Frees up your art because that's very stressful to worry about money.
1: Yeah, and I'd say for I'd add on to that that for artists who are able to pay their bills through through their art, most often that I that I see, um, they are still doing their art on the side that has nothing to do with their commission, and then they feel like they're hustling. Because like, okay, so they're getting commission work and it's great and it's exciting and it's good, but it's not really 100% the thing that speaks to them. And so they're hustling their ass, making time for the thing that speaks to them. And then for for some lucky, gifted, hardworking individuals, once in a while, they get to that spot where that's the thing that is their passion, 100% is what pays the bills. But I hate to see the pursuit of that in exchange for the sanity of today because there's a Mm -hmm. lot to love about whatever your situation is and if you're working a part-time job if you're working a full-time job you've got kids like whatever's going on in your life allow the creativity you know hustle it as you can in your free time but it should be adding to the richness of your life and not taking away so
0: well i also think that um Oh, was I going to say about about the whole commission thing, as well? Is be very careful about doing what you love. Now I know that's counterintuitive because your passion can become your poison. Ooh. Because if you, you know, if you want to draw bridges, I know for a fact that I was drawing a certain something, and I was like, "This is becoming a prison. I'm not liking this at all." So be very careful that too much of a good thing becomes a job. So you have these dreams that you might want to draw these bridges and you might want to do this. And all of a sudden you're doing nine to five bridges. And guess what happens to your passion? It's a chore. So that, you know, this whole thing, do what you love, do what you love is nice. And that's very motivating. But sometimes it's better to do what you love part time so that you don't kill it. You know? (laughs) Oh, that's great! Fresh, you know, keep yourself doing challenges outside of your paid work. You know, just do it. Do do your life drawing or whatever that you have to do. That keep, or you know, recording your own stuff, and don't be bitter. Oh, please, people, don't be bitter. You are gifted, and that most most accountants sitting in their offices would love to be gifted. But I think they're gifted with numbers. So yeah, I can't they. Really say-
1: but there's there's a lot of people who would love the gifts of creativity uh, as, as we commonly understand them, things in the visual arts That's right. musical. A and lot of people would you love know, that, yeah.
0: Why my I an artist? Uh, a stroke of fate, genetic lottery. There's nothing, uh, what do I say? There's nothing, people always used to say to me, weren't you clever? I'm like, no, not really clever. I'm just lucky. There's nothing clever about what I've done. If there's anything clever, it's that I've managed to bring it to the world. That's the clever part. Yeah. The fact that I've actually managed to purvey it and parlay it into something that's an income, mm-hmm. that's clever. But drawing per se is, is like musical talent or that talent with numbers. We all get something. It's well, just doing something that, that's important.
1: I love that. And I think that's where we're going to end. So absolutely. So Marta, thank you for coming on to the podcast. That's was great. Yeah. Where where can uh, people find your stuff? I, I already pulled it up at one point, but where would be the best place for people to go and connect well, with I you? Well, if
0: they want to actually purchase the book, which is out in May, it's at girlcandraw.net. That's easy. And Yep. And then if you want to see my uh website, it's uh drawn to fashion.com.au in Australia. So I'm so it's drawn and then T O and then Fashion because I thought I'm very drawn to fashion. That's also
1: a clever name. Drawn to I fashion. couldn't <laughs>
0: believe nobody had that website. Amazing. <laughs> so hey. and then of course there's girl girl can draw full stop. No, girl can full stop draw net on Instagram, <laughs> girlcan.draw. Yeah. Because funny enough, there were four the Girl Can Draws names on Instagram. But can they? <laughs> They're eight, eight years old. Each of them are 10 and eight.
1: Oh, well, that's great. I
0: followed, I followed them. Oh, really? I followed, they haven't posted since 2016. I'm like, do anyone want to relinquish your name?
1: That's funny. <laughs> Well, that's, that's great. Well, I
0: followed them anyway. That that's, was nice. And they could draw, but they only posted three things. So I'm like, eh. <laughs> anyway. Oh, it's been so lovely to chat.
1: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you found any of this valuable, please consider subscribing, recommending this to a friend, or leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you happen to be listening. If you watch this on my Servant YouTube channel or Facebook page, please leave a comment and share. I love to hear from my listeners and learn from them. Learn more about me at www.servant.com. That's S-R-V-E-N-T dot com. Thank you again for your time. Now go be creative and sane.